1: This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Welcome to a Turn on the Jets digital special presentation. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter. At Play Like a Jet 1, and as you know, the Jets have made a lot of huge acquisitions throughout the free agency period, but one of the most important ones actually came before the beginning of free agency, and it was via trade. It was when they dealt a late-round pick to get Kaleshi Semele and they got a late-round pick back in return, so it was a little bit of a pick-swap. And the Jets get Colesio Simile, the guard from the Raiders. He also had played with the Ravens before that. A lot of people know what PFF has said about Semele. They might have seen clips here and there, but how much do you really know about Semele? I only know what I've read, what I've watched, and I haven't studied it at an expert level. I can only see what I can see. I wanted somebody that knows this stuff like the back of their hand, so I went to one of the best experts that I know. He works at the Scout Academy, does offensive line and defensive line stuff for USA Football. And as the co host of the Trench Warfare podcast, as far as I'm concerned, there's nobody better when it comes to taking a look at the offensive line, Mr. Brandon Thorne. What's going on, Brandon?
2: Hey, what's going on, man? Thanks a lot for having me.
1: Oh, I'm thrilled to have you. As soon as they got assembly, I reached right out to you. I was like, I got to get Brandon on to talk about assembly because I know that in addition to knowing the offensive line and defensive line, you've paid particular attention to Kolesi Assembly and he's one of your favorites to watch. So I'm eager to hear your thoughts and what makes you think he's so special. But before we get into that, I want to get into your background a little bit. Can you tell us a little bit about you and also what really got you interested in the offensive line and the defensive line?
2: Yeah, definitely. So I, I played high school football in Florida and played offensive line there. So right away, you know, I, I gained an appreciation for the position and just uh, how hard it really is. You know, I, I started out initially playing quarterback and then went to tight end and then went to offensive line. And initially I wasn't excited about it. But um, after a couple of years of playing right guard and right tackle, I just grew to really, really appreciate the, the the difficulty of playing the position and trying to really pass pro especially to, you know, trying to move backwards at different angles and block guys who are more more athletic than you is, is a very, very difficult thing that requires a lot of skill. So um, that's where it started. And then I joined the military. Um, I got hurt my senior year of high school and had an opportunity on a partial scholarship to play in Florida at Jacksonville. But Didn't take it, um, just went a different route, and uh, after 10 years in the military, well, I should say during that 10 years, I I became a bigger football fan um, and really studied the game, read a lot of different biographies and books on on football in general, the NFL, Um, but still my, my love for offensive lines grew a little bit over that time, and then I had an opportunity to get out of the military a little early, and I decided to do that solely to focus on football. And once I did that, I, you know, I started Twitter and social media and stuff like that. I tried to put my work out somewhere um, and got to meet up with Ted Sunquist, who was a local in Colorado at the time, former general manager of the Broncos and also an Air Force veteran, kind of took me under his wing. And I got to write for his site and uh, do a lot of things with him. And that's where my really my love for offensive line grew the most, because as I was on Twitter, I realized, you know, not a lot of people were highlighting offensive line play at the time in like 2014. And uh, I was like, you know, this is, there's a gap here. You know, people aren't appreciating offensive line play. They're not really sure what goes on in it. And I was like, you know, this is an area I could really build something. So I dove all the way in and reach out to a lot of people. And just over the years, I mean, I've been fortunate enough to have a lot of great guys teach me about what they see on film, the scouting Academy and having former NFL offensive line coaches teach me that way. Um, and then guys like Duke Manny, the Charles Bentley in the past um, and others, I mean, there's a lot of Aaron Taylor, Land Zero I mean, there's a lot of guys who have really reached out and helped me along the way. So I've just kind of built on that and I love offensive line play. I love the nuance of it. And um, because it's so hard to understand, I think that's what gravitated me to it and keeps me there is because I still feel like there's so much more to uncover and, and put out there in the light to people. So it's, it's been a fun journey and I'm,
1: So in a sense, after learning from all those heavy hitters, you could sort of say you have a master's degree in a sense in terms of understanding offensive and defensive line, right?
2: Yeah, so um you could say that as far as the, the master's degree in football and offensive line. Um I still don't consider myself you know an expert by any means just because I know all these other guys and just all the coaches and all that stuff who just, you know, know a lot more than I do. But still it's cool to be mentioned in the same breath as a lot of those guys and just have people like you reach out and want my opinion on things I I'm honored to give it so yeah hopefully I can bring some value in in what I talk about today
1: yeah absolutely and you were the first person that I thought of as soon as the Jets got assembly because first of all I love your work on the offensive line and you're one of the people that I trust more than anybody else as far as telling people what's really going on in the trenches because like you said it's such a hard position to scout the entire offensive line is very difficult to understand and I think the challenge is probably what drew you in the same way that it drew you into the military and to playing offensive line in high school in the first place and so you're the perfect person to have on to talk about Kaleshi Osemele why don't you tell me a little bit about what you first noticed about him because you were telling me off air that you really caught your eye when you were watching him in Baltimore before he even got to the Raiders which is what he's best known for now so if you could tell me a little bit about what caught your eye initially about Colesio Semele.
2: yeah so I started watching him in 2015 with the Ravens he's playing left guard and he also filled in at left tackle multiple times as well I believe that's what he played at Iowa State so you know initially when I started watching him on film his sheer size really stands out Um, he's sort of a throwback in that sense back then he was I think 320 between 320 and 330 six foot five he has very long arms big hands I mean so his his size his frame his build and his length all really really stood out to me and then his sheer physicality aggressiveness and just his play demeanor was rare I mean he was incredibly physical with guys and just played with a nastiness that you don't see very often, especially on the NFL level. There's just not a lot of guys big and strong enough who are able to bully guys around like he did. And he, it looked like he took a lot of pride in what he was doing and he a lot of enjoyment in in physically beating guys up, basically and that's really what was all over his film. So he wasn't really a technician, you know, especially at that time. He he got a little wild at times with his hands, but in terms of placement, but at the same time, more often than not, he once he gets his hands on you, it's pretty much over and you saw that in Baltimore and then he had the the ability to kick out and play left tackle pretty effectively as well using the the traits that I mentioned. So He's he's a guy who I think has some positional flexibility. I mean, he hasn't played left tackle, I don't think, since 2015. So uh, maybe that's just really if you you know are in a pinch. But still, he's I think he could still be a very good guard despite last season and, and not playing as well. But, um, yeah, th- initially, he, he instantly became one of my favorite players on the offensive line just because of how rare he was in a lot of the things that he was doing.
1: So you would say that the reputation that he has for winning with his athleticism and his power as opposed to technique is pretty much accurate? Yeah, I don't know
2: how much athleticism. I mean, he's a good athlete for sure, but I wouldn't call him elite by any means or even very good. I mean, I think he's definitely a good athlete with elite type of power um, for sure. That's that's really how he wins. And then just his mentality as well is 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 pretty special. So I think those are really the two
1: I think a lot of people that have read up on Assembly and watched him bits and pieces here and there, both with the Ravens and with the Raiders, realize that while he was very good with the Ravens, he took that next step when he got to the Raiders and became an elite player. He became one of the best in the league what did you see as far as his progression from the Ravens to the Raiders? Because you watched him very closely that last year with the Ravens, and then those first couple of years with the Raiders. So, what did you see that indicated to you that he had jumped to that next level?
2: Yeah, so just becoming more more consistent with things like his run fits in the run game, not you know, overshooting guys or you know undercutting guys. Especially getting to the second level, he was able to really engulf guys at the second level a lot better, taking better angles. Uh, the, you know things like that—the little things that really allowed him to uh, to to get attached to guys and latch on to guys, so all those other things like strength, length, and size could take over. So putting himself in better positions, and I think a lot of that had to do with the fact that he was playing alongside Donald Penn at left tackle, who really did a lot for his career in a lot of ways. Especially when he initially got there in twenty sixteen, which if you ask me over the last five years since I've been watching offensive line play very closely, I think the twenty sixteen Raiders are probably the second best unit I've I've seen. And, you know, first was the twenty sixteen Cowboys, but the, that Raiders offensive line unit was as physically dominating as any that you'll see. And I think when Caletio Assembly got to play in the middle of Donald Penn and Rodney Hudson. It took his career to another level and i think that's an underrated part about offensive line play in general is always look at who the guy is playing alongside of or in the middle of so that that's very important because uh, with ko as an example in terms of getting better fits on double teams working well with one another in pass protection communication wise passing off stunts recognizing blitzes you do this as a unit it's not really up to the individual to do this on his own so looking at who is to the left and the right of the guy is very important and he had at that time two elite guys really on either side of him so that helped significantly and i think that was probably one of the more underrated parts of his success in Oakland
1: And would you say that when he was in Oakland that the categorization of him as an elite-level offensive lineman, one of the very best in the league, would be accurate?
2: Yeah, so 2016, he was the best left guard in football, in my opinion. He was an all-pro that year. I think a second-team all-pro, but I thought he was the best left guard in in football. In 2017, he was still very good. That was a year where he started all 16 games. I thought he was a very good player, but the thing is that that year – is when the the Raiders' offensive coordinator situation changed. They got rid of Bill Musgrave, who is very uh, reliant on a power running scheme, and I thought that suits uh, Kelechi Semele the best, allowing him to really come off the ball and generate vertical displacement, really trying to push guys back, basically, instead of, cut them off laterally, which is more of a zone-oriented type scheme. So once the Raiders shifted to more of a zone-oriented scheme, I think that was part of why his play started to drop off a little bit. But I still say he was he was very good still in 2017. But then, you know, 2018, he had to deal with some injuries, of course. But I just didn't like him running a lot of outside zone stuff. So it'll be interesting to see what how he fits in, in New York, because I know talk about that in a second but um yeah i think he's just better in in man gap power type of concepts
1: so you think that it would be foolish to use him in any other way
2: i mean predominantly yeah but you almost every team in the nfl mixes in zone if they're a gap Mm -hmm. if they're predominantly gap type of schemes they mix in zone if they're predominantly zone they mix in gap type schemes so every team pretty much does both for the most part there's a couple that are more you know, uh, focused on one of the two. But, yeah, so I don't think it's foolish to use them, but to use them as your only, like, I don't want to see Kelechi Assembly in San Francisco playing under Kyle Shanahan. I don't think that would be a great fit because they're pretty much all zoned. So that's kind of an extreme. But, yeah, if you mix them in, I think he, he could be fine.
1: Yeah, just to clarify, that's really what I meant, that it wouldn't be smart to bring him into a team that was going to use him... Predominantly in zone as opposed to men, where he seems to thrive. I want to ask you about specific moments or games that you might remember that he had in Baltimore or with the Raiders that stood out to you and really made you look at him and say, okay, this guy is the elite player that I'm saying. He's the best left guard in football. Or even in 2017 when he had taken a slight step down, were there any moments that you specifically remember, any plays where you watched and you were just like, wow?
2: Honestly, if you just. If anybody goes back and watches 2016 film of Kelechi Assembly, you could pick any game, honestly, and you're going to see him just, just demolishing guys. I mean, some of those Bronco games, for sure, I remember a lot in there of him just doing just crazy things. Um, uh, you definitely have to watch the Bronco games, though, I think, because him and Penn, they did some special things when they played a couple times a year um but yeah he he had this one play I'm trying to look it up right now but he he was intimidating I mean like you could see it on the field come to fruition there was a play where he actually gets out in space up the left sideline on a I think it was a screen and you could see the linebacker realize who was coming at him and literally run out of the way that type of stuff you don't usually see because of course, that defensive player is risking his reputation in a sense because he knows it's going to be on film and you can't you have to do some you have to engage somehow, but he clearly avoided Colechi assembly in space because he knows basically when when Kelechi assembly gets his hands on you more often than not he's going to try to bury you into the ground and uh, so that that was really cool to see that sort of drastic moment to where it really showed up there's a Oh, man, there's a play uh, against Carolina in 2016. It was in the November timeframe. So if you want to go back and look at it, but Kawan Short is a defensive tackle who's been elite in his career. He has special physical traits, and he's a very good player. And there's a play where Coletio Sumley anchors down and literally throws him five yards back. So stuff like that, I mean, you will never see that against Kawan Short. And – Coletio Assembly was really the only guy to be able to do stuff like that. But there's so many examples of him, his size, strength, and physicality, just dominating guys that it just it makes you – it's like varsity JV type stuff that happens in in the NFL that really never happens, so –
4: Podcast, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, tune in or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: This is the Overtime Podcast Network.
1: We talked a little bit about his strengths. Let's talk about his weaknesses. I know you talked about the difference in zone and man and how he's better in man than zone, but are there any specific weaknesses that you've pinpointed in his game? Are there any types of players or any specific players in general that tend to trouble him? Anything we should be on the lookout for?
2: Yeah, I mean you have to look at guys with a lot of speed, Aaron Donald last year, you know, guys like, well, I mean, it's hard to, it's kind of unfair to say that because Aaron Donald beats everybody. So, but generally I think speed rushers can give him some problems because he is pretty inconsistent. I think with his hand placement, a lot of the times he could be late with his hands too wide with his hands and it can allow him to get off balance. And you you see that a lot when you watch his tape last year, a little in 2017 and just a little over the course of his career. He He's never been a guy who's been very, very precise with his hands. He So I, I think part of that has to do with the fact that you know, he knows he's bigger and stronger than a lot of guys. And he just gets a little overzealous, I guess, you know, at the point of attack. So I think hand usage in general, placement, timing. Those things can allow him to get off balance, both in the run game and in the pass game. So that's pretty pretty much the biggest things that I see with him is having late hands, inaccurate hands. And when you go against guys with a lot of speed, I think that just becomes more pronounced. And you can really see him lose a couple ugly reps sometimes where he gets really off balance. So that's kind of been something that he's dealt with on different levels throughout his career.
1: Brandon, I was kind of curious about this, and as somebody has really looked extensively at offensive line play, you'd be the perfect person to ask. Going into free agency, the thought was that it was Roger Saffold that guard and then everybody else. Is that pretty much how you saw it? And I'm asking you this because I want to lead to another question that involves Colesio Semele.
2: Yeah, so I think he was, he was probably the best guard. I really liked some other guys to a lesser extent, but yeah, as, in terms of guards, I thought he was the best. I thought there, if you're ranking just overall guys, I mean, you know, I really like Trent Brown and um, Matt Paradis, but yeah, guard wise, I think Saffold is probably the best guy.
1: And I'm asking you that to then ask you this. How do you think that Saffold compares to Kaleshio Semele?
2: Yeah. So s- some similarities in terms of just size and strength, power. Especially, I mean, I watch Roger Saffold a lot more, actually, when he was with the St. Louis Rams. And, you know, just he won with some incredible power. Uh, you, you could go back and watch him against uh, Calais Campbell, I think, in 2015 or 14, and he was tossing him around. So, the, you know, stuff like that is, is pretty rare. But I think Saffold has gotten really good at in the zone scheme. And you saw that the last couple of years in L.A. playing for offensive line coach Aaron Cromer. I think he really took Saffold's game to another level in terms of technique because the Rams pretty much run outside zone as much, if not more, than any other team in the league. And you would think with a guy bigger and stronger like Saffold, that wouldn't be a great fit, but he proved otherwise. Um, so I thought if, if you can somehow transfer some of what, the Rams were doing schematically in New York that you could see a similar type of jump for Kalecchi. but again you know I think a lot of that credit goes to offensive line coach Aaron Cromer um, getting Saffold a lot better technically so and again Saffold was playing alongside Andrew Whitworth and John Sullivan who Sullivan's an underrated guy solid guy last year he had a little bit of a down year but I mean Andrew Whit- Whitworth is one of the best left tackles in the league. So. And now he's going to Tennessee and playing with another very good left tackle, so that stuff helps as well. um they have to consider but but yeah they're they're considerable in just size, strength power, but I think Saffold's a little bit more of a refined player at this point
1: so would you say that if you had a scheme that was gonna be more zone than man, Saffold is the better fit for you, but if it was the reverse and it was going to be more man than zone, then you'd be better off with a Semele? probably yeah. So, would you say that Asimile at least is on that same level as Saffold, and how would you have ranked Asimile compared to the other guards that were
3: available?
2: Yeah, I mean, I've personally just liked Coletio Asimile more. I think his ceiling is higher. I think in 2016, Coleccio Asimile was better than Saffold's ever been. So, that's important to say, but... Um, yeah, I would probably put Colletti Assembly on the same plane as Roger Saffold at this point because he's younger. I think he's three, four, maybe three or four years younger, maybe two or three years younger. So that's a big part of it. And I don't think Saffold's that much better than Colletti Assembly right now. Um, he's just been in a, I think, a better position, especially the last couple of years.
1: So essentially, you would say that the Jets, in your estimation, got a pretty good bargain here because they got a assembly for less money because there's no guarantees. They got him for two years and they can cut bait whenever they want. And you would say that he's right there on that same tier with Saffold, who got a lot of guaranteed money.
2: Oh, yeah, definitely. I talked about this a lot on my podcast uh, as far as when I talked about free agency. I, yeah, absolutely love the move for the Jets.
1: So as far as loving the move for the Jets, salary cap wise, or loving it for what they gave up, loving it for what you like in Osemile, let's go to the next logical step from all of that and talk about how much you like or don't like the fit that he could be here with the New York Jets. We know that you think very highly of him, and we know what you think his strengths and weaknesses are. Do you think that he is going to fit in well here? And do you trust Frank Pollock to use him properly? Um,
2: I think so, because I think Pollock, he's had a he's had a really good track record overall, just what he he does in terms. Of, I mean, I know he started under Gary Kubiak in Houston. He's a, obviously a, a much more of a zone oriented offensive line coach, but he doesn't run as much outside zone as teams like the 49ers and the Rams. He incorporates a lot of inside zone, but he also does duo, which is a power type of concept. He also runs power. Um, so I think he has a, he does a lot of pin pull. I think he has a pretty diverse repertoire in terms of the schemes that he can implement as an offensive line coach, although he is predominantly zone based. So I don't think it's the ideal fit because we've, you know, I'd like it kind of the reverse, more of a predominant gap man type concept scheme, but I still think he can have success here. I look back Pollock, you know, he, he came under. Gary Kubiak initially learned that wide zone type of scheme under him. And then he learned under Bill Callahan in Dallas, who is one of the best offensive line coaches in the game, maybe ever. And he teaches similar type of concepts. So I think he's, he has a great background in terms of who he's been around. He's He obviously was the offensive line coach of the best offensive line in the last five years, in my opinion, the Cowboys. So, but he inherited, he inherited that from Bill Callahan. You know, he was there first. So how much credit goes to him or Callahan for that? It's hard to say. Plus, you know, Dallas just has, they have elite players on their offensive line that, you know, it's, just, you don't, you don't have to be a great developer of talent. I don't think at that point to, 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 to be effective. So ultimately I, I like Frank Pollock. I think he's done a really good job pretty much everywhere he's been Schematically, I don't think it's a great fit. I think it could probably be a good fit.
1: You think that Pollock would be able to recognize what Assembly's strengths and weaknesses are, though, and kind of play up the strengths and limit yeah. the weaknesses, right?
2: Yeah, I would definitely
1: think so. Let's talk a little bit real quickly about the Jets' offensive line in general because we talked about Assembly coming in and how he's going to fit. What do you think of the other pieces on the offensive line? Now, obviously, we don't know for sure what's going to happen at center at the moment. It's Jonathan Harrison because that's all they have. But we could see another move coming, whether it's free agency or whether it's the draft. But as far as the guys that are already here that are penciled in to start, I was curious what you think of Brian Winters, Brandon Shell, and Kelvin Beecham.
2: Yeah, so Shell, I haven't watched much of at all, so I can't really speak on him. Brian Winters I, I like. I, I think he's underrated. Uh, he's an undersized guy who gets pushed back in his anchor quite a bit. So that's the downside. He's undersized. He, his play strength is adequate, but he doesn't win that way. If you, if you really look at how he wins, I think it's with quickness and with technique, with leverage. And those things I appreciate, even if he is losing reps with not having enough strength. So you have to kind of live with the bad to get the good with. The majority of NFL players on the offensive line, very few guys have dominant strengths. And um, But still, I think Winters is a very crafty player who had the best year of his career last year. And I think he's trending upwards. So I like Winners. I think you guys have your guards in place for sure. That's the strength of the unit. Kelvin Beecham is a guy I watched more so in Pittsburgh. But still, I think he's another guy who's undersized. One of the
0: few tackles that has the physical dimensions that he has. Being Ah, mm. the first taste of rare bourbon, you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive, sought-after, rare, and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code Welcome Ten for ten dollars off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Kaskers.com. Six
2: 6'3", shorter arms, stuff like that. So
0: Kelvin Beecham, he wins
2: largely with technique. He definitely isn't a great athlete, I don't think, um, but he's very technically sound and brings a lot to the table that way. Very um, mentally sound as well. Mental processing is a term that I use in scouting, and he's... Very, very sharp. So I think he wins with a little bit of quickness, but more so technique and uh, just being a smart guy and somebody that you like to have on the unit from that perspective.
1: Putting aside Shell, who you said that you didn't watch, and obviously Assembly, who just got here, there was talk that the Jets might be looking to upgrade at the other guard position with Winters and perhaps a tackle with Beecham. In your opinion, though, based on what you just said, it sounds like you think the Jets are just fine at those two areas for the time being, right?
2: Um, I think you could upgrade left tackle, for sure. I mean, I think Beecham's definitely in the bottom half of starting left tackles in the league. I just spoke about how he wins and why I could see the Jets wanting him back. Mm -hmm. But I think you can upgrade center and left tackle, for sure. Or even right tackle, I don't know. I just haven't really watched show at all.
1: But guard, you think they should stay the course with Winters?
2: Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, you... You don't want to have to replace four guys on the offensive line at this point. I think that's silly. And I think winners is trending up. So, yeah, I would leave him.
1: One of my absolute favorite people to go to for information on offensive linemen. And I hope that this podcast demonstrates why. If you're not following him and checking out his work, you absolutely should be. It's invaluable if you want to understand the offensive line. And as I was telling Brandon off air, as much as I do my best to watch offensive line and understand what's going on, there's only so much you can really understand if you don't have a trained eye for that stuff, and that's where people like Brandon come in. So if you want a much better understanding of a very difficult position to evaluate, you should be checking out Brandon's work. Brandon, thanks so much for coming on. Really appreciate it. I hope you'll come back soon. For anybody that's unfamiliar with you and doesn't know where to find you or your work, why don't you go ahead and let them know?
2: Yeah, you could just follow me on Twitter at Brandon NFL and I'm the host of the Trench Warfare podcast, and I do work for USA Football and the Scouting Academy. So those are pretty much the areas that you can find all my work at. This
0: is the Overtime Podcast Network.
1: So we heard from one of the best offensive line guys out there Brandon Thorne to break down the film And really give us an idea of what it's like To watch Kelechi Semele playing guard I thought on top of that We might want to turn to our resident stat nerd To go that route and give you an even more complete picture So we welcome in The host of the Chronicles of Nannia Here at Turn on the Jets Digital As well as a writer over at GangreenNation.com, Elite Sports New York And pretty much anywhere else on planet Earth That publishes anything about New York sports Mr. Michael Nanio What's going on Michael?
5: Uh oh, not too much. I'm happy to be on here to talk about assembly. I am stoked for this guy. Obviously Brandon Thorne gave you uh gave us a great breakdown of him. I'm I'm really stoked to have assembly this team and actually have some people who could block defensive players on the other team. It's good to have that. It's really nice.
1: So am I, Michael. So let's get into why from a statistical standpoint, because like you said, we heard Brandon talk about the film and all that. Tell me what you found about what the Raiders did on running plays when they ran to assembly side on the left side of the line.
5: Yeah. So on pro football reference, you could track and take a look at how teams rush based on the the, the direction of the run, based on how it is listed in the in the play-by-play so on Russia's directed left guard from 2016 to 18 which was uh clutchy assembly's tenure in oakland the raiders scored 10 touchdowns which was third in the league 43 total first downs that was sixth in the league and they picked up a first down on 27.4 percent of their carries in that direction which was fourth in the league and they were the only team in the league to reach all three of those marks so it definitely is a little bit of not questionable but it, it can be a little inaccurate at times because the direction of the play might not be exactly, uh, The player that is listed in the direction might not be directly involved, like it could be a a rush right guard, but the right guard wasn't really that involved in it, whether he pulled or something like that. So it's not entirely accurate, accurate, but it is a really good measure to just, especially over a larger sample size, because you were looking at three seasons in which Assembly was starting for the Raiders, especially over a larger sample size. It's a really good way to just get an idea of how successful teams were running in a certain direction behind a certain player. So it is really promising to see the Raiders were so successful running the ball behind Osemely during the three years he spent there.
1: Yeah, that's what I was going to say, because if you went and looked at a handful of games, you might be able to say it's an anomaly. But if it's three seasons, it seems like that's a real legitimate trend there.
5: Yeah, definitely. Because, you know, like I said, like if you're looking at one game, like maybe Isaiah Corral, like for the Jets, like in that game against Denver, Isaiah Corral played a great game. And the O-line was good in that Denver game, too, but... If Isaiah Correll breaks out one 80-yard run uh, going left guard behind Spencer Long or something, then that's going to make his numbers look good, you know, for that entire game, for a two-game stretch, three-game stretch, because big, big runs like that are going to boost the numbers a lot. But if you're talking over three seasons, then things kind of, you know, mesh together more, and it's a better sample size to judge off of. So it's really good to see the Raiders did such a good job running behind Osemele. And overall, they did, even this past year, they were still pretty decent running in that direction Uh, behind assembly so it it definitely is promising to see that over a three season span
1: and that might go a long way towards explaining your next stat michael because assembly played 49 games over the course of three seasons with the oakland raiders and in those 49 games there was a marked difference in terms of points per game for the raiders and also wins and losses
5: yeah so it's definitely and it's the same thing with what we were just talking about sample size matters with stats like this, but I do like to see sometimes, you know, if players have missed extended time, how well the team does with them versus without them. So over three seasons, uh, the Raiders did have their one playoff game in 2016. So 49 possible games, Osemely's played 43 of them. So he's missed six games and the difference is pretty noticeable. And, and that's another thing you want to see a noticeable difference If the, if the difference is slight with something like this, then, you know, maybe it's just an anomaly, but for th- this, is a pretty big difference with Osemely how the Raiders have played with him versus without him. So when Osemele's played for the Raiders, they're a nearly 500 team, 21 and 22, and they've scored 21.6 points per game. And in the six games he's missed, they went one and five, and they only scored 15.7 points per game. So that's basically a touchdown difference and a 30% dip in percentage, which would be worth about three, four wins over a 16-game season. So that's pretty noticeable. And, you know, definitely it it is only six games, so they win one more. When he doesn't play, it looks a lot different. But still, we're talking about, and it's the same thing with what we mentioned, rushing in his direction. It's a large sample size, a decent enough sample size to actually learn something from. And pretty good numbers, just like the rushing in his direction. Pretty noticeable difference how they played with him versus without him. So I think it is a potential sign of how much value he had to that team and how much above a replacement level player that he is.
1: And in addition to those positive numbers, you have to take a look at penalties because that's a huge part of what makes an offensive lineman useful. Because if somebody's getting penalized a lot, and we saw this with the Jets plenty, that means that it's going to back the team up a lot and constantly put them in holes. That's not something that a simile did much of. And you would expect a guy at his level who's playing in so many games to get penalized a lot, but he really didn't.
5: Yeah, so Assembly only had he had four penalties in each of the last two seasons, so a total of eight over the last two years. And just to compare that against uh, a lineman who struggles with penalties, Brian Winters had nine in 2017, and he only played 13 games, I believe. Uh, he only had five penalties this year, Winters. So he did bring it down a little bit. But the, the league leading penal the the leaders in penalties among offensive linemen usually have about 13, 14 penalties. If you're around 10, and like I said, nine for Winters in 2017, that's pretty bad. And the average will probably if you play about sixteen games, they probably average around maybe six or seven. So four for Assembly in the past two seasons is really solid. It's been a while since the Jets have had an O lineman go back to back seasons with only four penalties. The last time a guard for the Jets did that was Matt Slauson in his first two years for the Jets. And before that was Brandon Moore in two thousand nine to ten. So it's it's pretty rare to have a guy commit penalties that infrequently. But Assembly has done it. So it's really promising to have a guy who's able to not only be a good player overall, because penalties do make up a pretty small portion of the snaps that they play, but they are really important, and we've seen the Jets struggle with penalties a lot recently, and it has been overblown at times. Like I said, winter's improved the season. Uh, James Carpenter also, he only had eight penalties over the past two seasons, only three this past year for Carpenter, but still with assembly, it is promising to see that he's not a guy who struggles with chronic penalty issues.
1: No question, especially for somebody who's as good as he is.
5: Yeah, without a doubt. And again, like a lot of times being, you could see good offensive linemen that, you know, commit a lot of penalties. Because if you play a really aggressive style, then that could just be a consequence of that. And you deal with it if you're playing really good football uh, consistently, snap after snap. But it doesn't seem like Osemly is, even though he does play a really vicious uh, kind of style, it doesn't seem like he's the kind of guy who deals with penalty issues a lot. Because he is a really good technician in addition, you know, to how physical he is and how dominant he could be, how strong he is. But it doesn't really seem like he struggled penalties, having only four in each of the past two seasons.
1: Michael, you heard Brandon Thorne, who was on before you, and he was gushing about Kalilcio Semele. He's really excited about what this could mean for the Jets. Scale of one to ten, based on what you've seen and the numbers you've uncovered, how excited are you?
3: Man, I I'd go and
5: I, I think it's really promising because you know Roger Saffold seemed like the only good option for this left guard position. This was a position the Jets had to fill. James Carpenter was a free agent. Uh, and the Jets had to find a, a, find someone to replace him because he struggled so much last year. But it's, it was tough to find an option beyond Saffold. And you can't pigeonhole yourself to, to one guy to fix a spot. So they came out of nowhere at this assembly deal. I'm, I'm really happy they got aggressive. And they didn't give up much to get him. But still, just to get out there and make sure they got this upgrade. And he's just a, a different kind of player with his physicality, the way he can get to the second level and own people. It, he's just a really, really solid player. I'm excited to have him. I'd go eight. I'll go eight, because we have to be a little realistic. He did struggle with injuries last year, but this guy is just a talent that the Jets really haven't had up front in a while, and he's got a track record and just being an all-pro, two-time pro bowler, so I'm really excited to actually have some life up front.
1: He is the co host of the Chronicles of Nanny at Turn on the Jets Digital. Also, a writer over at GangreneNation.com, where he does all the tweets as well. And a writer over at Elite Sports New York. Anything else I'm missing, Michael? Or there's some Knicks writings that are out there that I'm not hitting on here?
5: <laughs> that, that, that's mostly it. I think you got the primary gist of it.
1: It's in so many places, I just want to make sure I'm keeping track. Michael, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your thoughts on a simile. We'll talk later in the week to do a full Chronicles of Nannia show to break down all the free agent signings, or at least the major ones that the Jets have gotten to so far in the offseason. Meantime, why don't you let everybody know where they can find you and follow your work.
2: Yeah, you can follow
5: me on Twitter at Michael underscore Nannia. Most of my writing is at Gangry Nation and Elite Sports New York. And yeah, very excited for draft season coming up now and the new uniforms. I'm, I gotta come on the pod to discuss the new uniforms with
1: you. <laughs> I think that's the next order of business is the new uniforms. Everybody is amped up for that because it's right in between free agency and the draft, so we'll see how that turns out. Hopefully fans are as excited for the uniforms as they are for the results that happened in free agency for the New York Jets. Michael will talk later in the week. We'll do a full Chronicles of Nania. In the meantime, make sure you follow Michael on Twitter and read his work. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets digital and turn on the jets.com.